Hello and welcome to another episode of The Clever Kids. This is a weekly pop culture podcast where three brothers take a topic from pop culture and nope, I'm going to take it again. <laughs> I lost it. Three, two, one. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Clever Kids. This is a weekly podcast where three brothers talk about a topic from popular culture that you may or may not care about. My name is Tyler. I am your host. I am joined, as always, by my co-hosts and brothers, Brian. How's it going, everybody? And Jeffrey. Hey, how are the two of you doing? Uh, I'm good. I'm real sweaty and uh dirty because i went on a motorcycle ride this morning and uh it's hot out here in the northwest right now um how are you doing jeff doing good i'm doing well i went for a run this morning for the first time in a couple months and uh i I, I ran two miles and both of them were under nine minutes which i thought was pretty good for having not run in a couple months and uh glad i didn't lose too much progress and then i was like damn I'd have to do that 13 times in order to run a marathon. So then I started Googling marathon facts, and I started texting them to you guys. That's where that's where that came from. Fun uh, fact, fun fact of the day for the listeners. Uh, the first person to ever successfully win a marathon race was a Greek shepherd. He ran the marathon in two minutes and two hours and 40 minutes and uh, never ran again. And another fun his fact. His legs were removed. The first, the first attempt at running the marathon competitively in the very first Olympics was a failure because everyone, all the runners were too exhausted to actually successfully compete. There was no victor on the first time that they attempted it. Another fun fact, he built up that conditioning by chasing his goats around. I just made that up, but it sounds right. <laughs> yeah. He's a shepherd, probably. Um, great. Well, uh, weird tangent early to this week. Um... If it sounds like Brian's eating on the podcast, it's because he is. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've been trying to chew quietly, but I just I couldn't get my food out of the oven fast enough. All right, it's I'm the done. talking with the mouth full. That's, that's surprising to I'm me. I'm just hoping there's not like this low undertone of chewing on my <laughs> side, but we'll see if that comes through. Just, just lean yeah. into it. I got a really nice mic, and I'm now regretting it. Well, getting back on topic, uh, this week we went and all saw – uh, David Lowry's new uh, adventure, coming-of-age Arthurian legend film uh, called The Green Knight, um, starring Dev Patel, Alicia Vikander, Joel Edgerton. Um, great cast uh, all around. Um, we're going to give... We're going to spoil this movie. Just be prepared for spoilers. We'll try to do a non-spoiler review up top, but if you haven't seen it, uh, I think we can all just, um, I mean, I, we, we can go all around and just say how we felt about it before we got it, go into spoilers. How about that? Just uh, straight up, like, did you like it or not? If there's then, anybody that hangs through this podcast to the point where we say we all thought it was good and then gets off before the spoilers, please let us know so that we can keep this going. If not, we're going to go right into spoilers from now on. Because <laughs> I have a feeling that anyone listening at this point when we've already dropped that it's going to be spoilers is uh, going to continue to listen. I'm not going to go first this time. I'm going to put it to Jeff. Jeff, how did you feel about The Green Knight? Uh, I, I loved it. I went and saw it with a friend uh, Friday afternoon at 4.30. Um, 
and and I, I summarized the film is that uh, as uh, it's a story about a knight who believes that he will be good. Uh, that there's a story about a man who believes that if he becomes a knight, that he will be good, and not that if he is good, he will become a knight. Like that's that's kind of like the core of it. He thinks that he's just going to go out and achieve this this greatness, and then will be perceived as a good person, and not necessarily have to be a good person in order to achieve the the end result. Uh, that's how I summarized the film uh, as kind of the core concept. Great. Um, yeah. You weren't asked to summarize the core concepts of the film, but I'm glad that you went ahead and did it anyway. Brian, how did you feel about the movie The Green Knight? Yeah, Jeff, you we'll get into of... the thoughts in a minute, Jeff. That, that, that's I, fine. I wasn't, I wasn't done. That's Jeff, cool. No. I, bet you, I bet you're the kind of kid that sat in the front of all his classes, huh? We had classes together because you got held back, so... Whoa. <laughs> you knew where I sat. <laughs> wow. That was... That was dramatic. That teacher also, had it out not for true. me. I don't want to hear that shit. That teacher <laughs> had it out for me. I didn't get held back in anything. Not true. You did. Brian was not held back in school at all. But Jeff coming early with some heat. <laughs> some incorrect heat. What the, that means nothing. I can make a bunch of shit I up I know, too. but that was so aggressive. It was crazy. <laughs> it's a clap back. <laughs> I do want to reiterate for the listener that is in no way true, but very, very funny and very uh, it was, mean. It was an exaggeration of semi-accurate events. <laughs> no, he and I did have classes together. Yeah, that's that's the only accurate part is that you guys both had classes because he failed school. the class. It's true. Yeah. It was my second I'm attempt. I'm gonna have to cut all this true. out, Jeff. It was my second attempt. I'll give him that. Although I didn't get held back, I held myself back. All right. <laughs> Hold me back, bro. About to be need to be held back again, man. I'm going to come over there and whoop your ass. Brian, how did you feel about the movie? Overall, good. Um, not perfect, but um, I thought it was really good. I'll save the rest for the spoilers for those people that need to jump off before we get there. We already announced spoilers. Oh, so, okay. So that part what, where – no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I thought it was pretty so good. So for me, I'm going to go ahead and just say, uh, if you haven't seen it, you have to go out and watch it. Um, I genuinely feel like, I don't know if if I would give it this designation right now, but this movie kind of hits all of the check marks of movies that I would consider like one of the best movies I've ever seen. Like wow. the whole time I was watching it, I was just like, man, this is like, it's just working on so many levels for me. Narratively, like it, it was a, a little bit messy, but like, every other level i feel like it nailed like performance wise everybody crushes visually and just like so beautiful and incredible to watch um yeah so that's i genuinely i really liked it uh, a lot uh from here on out though we're gonna just jump full into spoilers so don't listen past this part if you haven't um if you haven't seen the movie also brian i'm i'm kind of just putting that out there for people who don't listen to this podcast on a weekly basis in case you know, they don't know that we just spoil everything. Anyway, uh, which one of us wants to go first? Jeff, it sounded like you had a couple more thoughts that you wanted to, <laughs> yeah, to jump I've, into. I've got, Maybe I, another haiku about the, sure. the movie. I took I took uh, a lot of notes. but uh, um, You took notes at the movie? I took notes after the movie. I told you you're uh, sitting in the front row like a little nerd. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, um, there was no one else in that theater. He was just in the front row because he thought that, I don't know, it would give him a higher that's... grade in the class or something. <laughs> um, Jeff, what did, yeah. what did you think? 
I mean, I, I loved it. I, I, there's a lot of different things. We can t- tackle the, the film from a couple different aspects. But for me, it reminded me a lot like uh, my first viewing of 1917 in theaters where like the cinematography was something that just instantly stood out. Um, and, and one of my favorite things about the film in general is the fact that if you boil the film down to its, to its core points as far as like uh, story points, if you were to storyboard it, um, there's not a lot to the film. There, it's, a, it's a lot of sequences um, as they go from story to story, they have these like bookend um, with with the uh, calligraphy and all that, that that goes from chapter to chapter. But there's not many chapters to the story. And with that, because the story is so simple with not many events, they're able to build a lot of tension and exposure to each of the scenes where you have a lot of moments where the camera seems to linger or has a lot of uh, setting shots where it's just like landscape and um and, and yeah, I, I really appreciated it. It's something that I, that I wouldn't have liked uh, if the film was just about the action. Um, I will say one of my only downsides, I think, of the film that you'll probably hear about me say today is the, the film is basically devoid of action. Um, there, there, there's not many moments. It's, it's much more of like a, uh, I don't know, conceptual film where it has to touch on all of these different themes about being good, not necessarily about being heroic. Um, but yeah, that would be my only downside. Is I, I obviously understand how the story is supposed to go, and that it's based off of the, the poem of the Green Knight, and that in, in the poem itself, there's not a lot of action. So I understand that the interpretation shouldn't either. But still, we're talking about an Arthurian knight. Like I would have liked to have seen some combat. Uh, I thought Deb Patel was phenomenal. I, I really like his acting. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot more to the film that I want to talk about, but. That's just kind of a general synopsis. That's what I was going to say if you hadn't uh, interrupted me. So go on, go ahead. Tell me what you think. Um, okay, Brian, what do you got? <clears throat> um, so it was really good. I, uh, I think before I say anything, um, I'll start with I feel like I'm really close to the story, and therefore I came in like – um, with a mind, like not consciously, but I, I, looking back now, I think I came in with a mind to kind of be nitpicky about certain things and you'll hear me talk about them a little bit, but certain things that, you know, I mean, were this like is the time to talk about them. Like what, what, what are your well, thoughts? What are your I didn't know if you wanted me to go into a full on rant here, but, um, well, don't go into a rant, but like, let's have a discussion. Right? Yeah. So th- just certain things <laughs> that I wish were, were a little different. Um, the first one was right in the beginning, seeing the, Knights of the Round Table, it felt like they didn't put any effort into those guys. It felt like they just chose a bunch of kind of generic white dudes with beards and long hair to like sit around the table. And like for me, it's like that that you was wanted, kind of it was kind you of wanted like a, you wanted like a Clash of the Titans moments where they hired like actual famous actors to go through and play not, the gods. Not necessarily famous actors, but some kind of distinguishing traits between the guys. Yeah, I I will say I I, I was like I don't are there. They're all just white men with beards. Right. Like, I couldn't right. tell the difference between any of them. And I was like, so which one is supposed to be Lancelot? Uh, yeah. I want to get, I want to get a Bors? look at Galahad. I want to get a look at Tristan. Yeah. I want to get a look at Bors. Like I, like the fact that I was looking at them and they were just a bunch of generic knights to me was like, it kind of took away from that because to me, the magic of Camelot is like all these dudes are in one organization and yet all of them have their own epic part to play. And yet they're just, they're, they were just very generic. And I'm sure it was probably done in a way to like, keep the focus on you know I mean, he's main, also the only person who's of color in like the whole town yeah and I, it just, was I just felt like there there could have been a little bit more effort made to like 
distinguish the knights of the round table and like kind of like pay like give a nod to their significance in in the that universe because you know what we got i you know i I quickly moved past it because it's not a big part of the movie but i was just kind of like irked as somebody that really buys into those those legends and myths like just kind of wish wished we'd gotten a little bit more there you know like if i if i see something about um greek heroes or greek demigods or something like I don't want to see a bunch of generic dudes that look the same. I want to see Bellerophon on a, you know, a Pegasus. And I want to see Heracles wearing a lion skin. Like, the, whatever it is that is, like, their defining trait or whatever. Like, I would like to see them just make some kind of effort. Or at least refer to them by name so I can get a look at them and go, oh, that's who they, you know, that's, you know, the guy. Oh, that's Galahad. Oh, that's Lancelot. I think they did talk about Lancelot briefly, unless I'm mistaken. I think he said the owner of this seat is absent. And I think they were talking about Lancelot's chair as kind of his right hand man. Is that not correct? That's what I, I interpreted as. That's what I interpreted as well. Yeah. So that's where he was letting Gall- uh, or Gawain sit was in uh, Lancelot's seat. Um, the other part, I, I it was kind of bugging me when they were calling him Garwin. I was kind of grateful when he left the castle and they they didn't keep saying that because it was kind of like nails on a chalkboard to me. I like I, I've always noted as Gawain, and I, Jeff pointed out to me when we briefly talked about this yesterday. That they even kind of nodded to the fact in in their like, like I don't know, opening templates or whatever, like where they were like, the tale of you know Gawain, and they just had all these different like ways of writing it or whatever. It was like them being like, "There's no right way to do this, so don't freak out if we say it a certain way that you're not recognizing or whatever." The so, language has changed so significantly from the Middle English that it was initially written in that there like name. nobody's name is correct. Yeah. Like his Arthur isn't anything. the king's name. Morgan. Morgan Le Fay wasn't the name. Like yeah. everybody so, has a different fucking name, and, and like, I'm sure all different spellings, all kinds of different things. So, and I'm, I'm sure, sure the yeah. Garwin was the p- correct pronunciation right. for right. the timeline or yeah. the time period. Absolutely, I was going to say. I'm sure whoever researched it knows better than me. I just it was kind of like nails on a chalkboard when he first said it. I thought it was just a weird pronunciation by the king, where he was like, "Bring young Garwin to me," and I was just like, Is, "Did he say Garwin?" Like he's just like mistakenly saying it, and then. All of a sudden, they called him Garwin again, and I was like, all right, this is starting to irk me. And like, I was kind of grateful when he rode off, and I knew that most of the rest of the adventure was him taking off on his own. So I was like, thank God, because that, for some reason, was just getting to me every time they said it out loud. But um, like I said, little ticky-tack, things like that. Jeff pointed out that they didn't have action sequences, which... I, to be fair, I didn't really fixate on it too much in the movie, but looking back, like it would have been cool if there was something, you know, like maybe even just show like when, you know, at the end when he's kind of having his like fever dream or, you know, or looking forward to the future, like maybe just show some kind of action sequence or something. But that's not really the point of the story. So maybe they didn't want any kind of fixation on battle when that's not the tale of Gawain and the Green Knight. So, but overall, um, the only other real criticism I had outside of, well, th- I got two more. One, overall, a little bit slow. There were some points where it seemed like it fixated on stuff that I was like, all right, let's keep going. Like, why are we still looking at this? The other thing was, it was kind of bothering me when certain things happened, like uh, when the axe reappeared in St. Winifred's little hut or whatever that he was sleeping in. His axe just appears by the post. And I'm like, how did his axe come back? Like, I just, like, I'm not okay That's with them. part just, of the legend. Was that it, it just reappeared? I don't remember that part. Like, why would it yeah, just reappear? I don't there? really, I don't really remember exactly it, but I do remember that bit. I went through and skimmed through the poem on Friday uh, yeah. on my lunch 
um, to just kind of reacquaint myself with it because it had been so long since I'd read it. Um, and it's long. So I started reading it and then was like halfway through and I was like, holy shit, there's so much left. So I just started scrolling through just picking different bits and reading that and just being like, okay. Yeah, um, that's fair. In, in like, if it says it in the, in the original verse, then that's fine. I just, I don't know. Something about it, it popped up and I was like, why is there, why is his axe back all of a sudden? What the hell's going on here? Like, why does that just randomly reappear? Like just if, if, if it's enough for the, uh, green knight to even say in the beginning like you know beat me in this challenge and like this axe will never leave your side or something like that would have been good enough for it to like reappear the same way that godric gryffindor's sword can kind of like vanish and reappear or you know whatever you know like there's there's weapons that do that in different stories just with no explanation i was kind of like it was kind of jarring that that just reappeared with no explanation and he's just like oh cool i'm just gonna keep going then found the axe you know Right. But so you other than that, one more? Uh, no, the, those are the two. The, the slowness, the pace was a little bit slow. It was fine. And then that axe reappearing just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. But otherwise, for the most part, just, yeah, you guys are right. Like the, the visual imagery, the acting, and just being in an Arthurian legend again was just really cool, you know? All right, guys, prepare to be annoyed because um, I have thoughts. Uh, that, that I dug, I, I'm going too deep again. Um, first of all, I do quickly want to say every, just like everybody, all, both of you guys have said, every performance was incredible. I thought everybody just nailed their role perfectly. Specifically, Dev Patel, who we've we we've talked about a bunch on this podcast. He's got to be one of my like top five favorite actors. I think he's so good, and I watch like when I see that he's in a movie, I'm I, I, like, even if it's a movie that I'm like. Ugh, like there's that modern love show on Amazon that I still haven't watched, but I, I know that he's in one of the episodes and I'm like, fuck, I do kind of want to check that out just to see what he does with the character, what, whatever character he's given. You know what I mean? Like, I just think that he's such a talented actor. Um, it, it's hard for me not to want to watch him. And I just think that he was perfectly cast in this role as sort of this person who's unsure of himself, but yet kind of cocky, um, eager to prove himself but you know not really quite quite making the right decisions as to how to do that you know um alicia vikander didn't even know she was going to be in this movie um so that was cool i think she's also really great um sean harris the guy who plays arthur he started i've i've been aware of him since he showed up on a really bad showtime original series called the borgias do you guys remember that Mm -hmm. i watched I used to watch it at the house. Um, he plays Chezio Borgia's right-hand man slash fixer. So he basically just goes, runs around and kills people. He also plays a gay person during that time period of like the 1300s, 1400s, something like that. Um, so anyway, I've, I've, I've liked him since then. Uh, the Queen, did you guys recognize the Queen? Gwen, who played Guinevere? Uh, yeah, from yeah. Game of Thrones. Yeah. I'm going to be honest Aaron. with you. I kind of didn't like it. Like she just came off gaunt and unhealthy. And I was like, Lysa Aaron is sitting in this room right now. Why would they pick her to be Guinevere? Like I didn't like how similar it was to her other role because then I couldn't like pull my mind out of her being Lysa, the crazy psycho breastfeeding her teenage son. Right. Well, they put them in like a kind of an, like it was clear that they were like old and like not well, you know what I mean? Like Arthur, when he's like carrying the sword, it's like you can see that it's hard for him to do. Right. You so know, pick like, an actress not that well. hasn't already played that kind of a role. You know, she, I thought she was great in it. I mean, she wasn't given a lot to do. Um, 
Let's see who else is in this. Barry Keoghan uh, is the guy who plays the the one who's scavenging the battlefield and then and then robs him. You know that guy who is just cursed with a the face of a villain. <laughs> he just looks like a criminal or something. Like he looks like a punk. You guys know which one I'm talking about? Yeah. Brian. Okay, yeah. Cool. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Uh, he's been in a lot of movies. Um. And I think that he's really talented. He's a young, uh, younger guy. And I think he's going to be in the Eternals as one of the Eternals. But I'm pretty sure he's going to be the bad guy. <laughs> um, didn't know that Joel Edgerton was going to be in this movie. Did you guys know that? Mm-mm. He was a surprise, when he came sure. on, When he came on screen, I audibly went, whoa. <laughs> he's, in all, he's in all the trailers. I don't know why that was a surprise. I haven't been watching the trailers. I've watched the uh, original trailer a thousand times, and then I, I didn't watch anything else because I didn't want to yeah, know anything he else. He was in the, the ones movie. that I saw, so I knew he was going to be in it. Did not so. know. Um, was excited. I always have liked him, so he that was good. Doesn't he um, play Gawain in King Arthur? He does, I think. He is Gawain maybe. in the King Arthur movie because Galahad is the, the Clive younger Arden dude. One? The younger, like high-headed guy, he plays Gawain, and he's kind of got like nat, like matted dreadlocks. It's I'm positive Maybe, it's him. He plays Gawain, so it's kinda, I thought it was kind of funny when I thought it, like I saw him in it. It was like I was like, oh, that's so weird that he's now in the Gawain movie. So I wanted to talk about departures from uh, the original source material from what I remember. Again, I did just reskim it, but um, what I remember of the source material just sticking to the main plot line is that the entire game was created by Gawain's mother as a challenge for him to become the knight that he was meant to be right so the every bit of it was it was a challenge um including the stop in at the lord's house right so the lord says i'm gonna go hunting every day each day that i go hunting when i come back i shall give you what i get and you shall give me what you get during the day right or whatever you receive during the day right and each day the man the lord's wife comes to gawain and tries to seduce him and gawain continues to rebuff her until the final day in which she gives him Three kisses and the green sash that if he can wear it, if he wears it while in battle, he'll never be harmed. Right. And the Lord on that day comes home, gives him a steer and says, um, now give me what you received. And Gawain gave him three kisses, but not the green sash because he was afraid of the, of the, the battle that he was, or like, you know, getting his head chopped off by the green knight. Then when he goes to the green knight's place, the chapel, the knight, Bring, is going to bring down the axe and Gawain says, wait, I'll have to do the honorable thing. I'm cheating in the game. Let me take this sash off. And then the Green Knight reveals, reveals himself to be the lord of the castle who was working for his Gawain's mother as a test to test if, if Gawain was actually honorable. Now <gasps> they changed that. <laughs> they changed that in two ways in this movie and it I feel like it changed the meaning of the story a little bit by not revealing the green knight to be Joel Edgerton, the Lord, then it, it, then the green knight is no longer its own test. Right. Also, they don't reveal to Gawain that his mother, that his mother was testing him, even though in the beginning of the movie, they show that it's his mother testing him. So how does it, how does it, how is the green knight no longer its own test? Well, how there's no there's no explicit explanation to Gawain 
or the re- for the reveal and i guess it because of that it's not given to us explicitly either right um the other part that i don't understand is the weird sex scene where gawain comes on the scarf <laughs> what the fuck happened there can someone explain to me what that was were it they was, actually having sex or was he no, jacking I think off? She, I think she was, jer- I think she was like jerking him off or something. It was either that he was masturbating or she was jerking him off. So it, it was very jarring was, to see jizz on screen. I, I'm dude, not lie. that I was like, I was like oh, yeah, that was my <laughs> that was my exact reaction. I was like, oh shit. Yeah, my <laughs> wife turned to me and was like, was that jizz? I was like, dude, yeah, all over jizz. his hand, all over the scarf, like, it's like everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, like this squelchy, like ugh. yeah. I was like, Ew, what the fuck? Yeah, I didn't. You could have implied that without showing me the jizz. I think no, I did not enjoy that at all. That yeah, was probably was, the worst was, part of the movie. There for was me. no reason to put that in there. So, what about Alicia Vikander playing his love back home, and the the lady of that tower or so, that castle? So here's the thing. I just I just recapped on it because I remembered it a certain way. And then I thought it was interesting how they approached it differently because I kind of liked that they had Vikander be both his mistress and the, the lady of the tower because the lady of the tower is supposed to be like represent temptation. So right, basic, basically in the original story, and I just checked back up on this to make sure I was right. The, the second like little game gets proposed to him. Hey, I'm going to bring you the best spoils of my hunts every day, but you got to give me whatever you gain during the day at my castle. Mm-hmm. And then basically what happens is while the guy goes away during the day, his wife keeps coming to Gawain and trying to like seduce him. And Gawain keeps right. saying, no, no, no. And then he gives her like, he'll give her like one kiss to like placate her. Like, I don't want to upset you. I can't do this. It's wrong. And then when the guy comes back with the, the catch of the day Gawain gives him a kiss without revealing its source so he like basically upholds his side of the bargain without upsetting the guy the next day the dude brings back more Gawain returns or gives him two kisses and then um I I the weird part is where the sash came in I didn't understand why there were two sashes essentially or or was it implied that it's the same sash that his mom created because it's it looks the exact same so I, that's the thing. This test is created. This second test was created by his mom as well. And the sash is the same sash, I think, that so, she's given back to so him. So in the original story, there's no mom making a sash for him. Basically, when he's dealing with this interaction with the, the wife of the, of the Lord, um, he has no sash at that point. He has not had a sash. He's just going on his own to the Green Knight. And then she basically tries to give him her ring as like a token of her favor or whatever. And he's like, I can't accept that. And she says, at least take this sash of mine. And she gives him her sash, um, telling him that it's charmed to protect the wearer from all physical harm. And that's when he goes, whoa, I'm listening. Or it's a, uh, yeah, girdle or sash. And then basically, yeah. Basically, he then gets three kisses from her. Um, and when he returns, or when the Lord returns that night, Gawain gives him three kisses, but then doesn't give him the sash. And that's where his integrity and honor get called into question because he doesn't Can give I everything that he received. Can I quickly stop you? Did yeah. I not just say all of these things? Well, so I'm, did, right? I'm confirming them. I'm confirming them because she is temptation. This is Vikander's, the reason why Vikander did this, the dual role to answer your question. I'm confirming those those events 
I thought that it was weird for them to confirm your thing about the dual story thing with his mom. I thought it was weird and it totally did pull away from that part of the story because why, why, why did, what did they gain? What did this story gain from them altering the events? Why wouldn't you just go with the original version and just keep it yeah. consistent? And so that's, that's what, why that's I'm, I'm just part. confirming those parts because it just doesn't make sense for that to vary at all. Right. That's what I was saying. I don't understand why they did that. And it sort of changes the meaning of the story in my head. Like I'm like, okay, well also when she says to him, you're no knight, it's almost as if he failed already. He failed. Right. He did. But in the, in the, in the original legend, he doesn't fail. So I'm like, well, why would you adhere so closely to the poem and then di diverge right there in that, in that middle part? That's sort of the crux of the story, right? That proves that he's honorable. I guess they had to show him as being double dishonorable because just taking this out and not explaining it in our so, modern age is not that bad. You know so I, mean? read, like, I read, I yeah, read a review. I get it. I read a review that, that put the, the film in the frame of the concept of chivalry. So there's the, they talk about uh, when King Arthur gives him his shield, that the shield represents the, the five points that has five points on it. And it's the, the, the five points of chivalry. And if you guys are familiar with it, I looked it up. Uh, the five points represent friendship, generosity, chastity, courtesy, and piety, all of which are things that he fails throughout points in the, the show. <laughs> so, so friend or through the film. So friendship, we know when he fails that, right? With the fox, the fox comes to his, uh, his uh, cave. He initially tries to get rid of the fox. He's throwing stuff at it. Finally, he, he, he um, relents and allows the fox to accompany him until the fox tries to take his own nature and the fox towards the end of the film says, yo, you're not a good person. You're not capable of facing this green knight, probably being controlled by his mother. The fox turns around and is like, please don't face this fight. Please just come home because you're not, you're not ready. And uh, so he fails and he attacks the fox because of his ambition is, and his greed has overcome his own self-preservation at that point. And he uh, fails the first test of friendship. Generosity. He fails when he, uh, when he goes, he comes across this, this scavenger of a battlefield who talks about how he's lost both of his brothers and Queen's like, all right, cool. Which way am I headed? Is this still North? Like completely indifferent, completely apathetic. The, the guy gives him a kindness, points him in the right direction. And he's like, all right, cool. See you later. And the guy's like, well, I like, I'm a poor beggar. You're a rich knight. You're not going to give me anything. And he's like, I'll give you my thanks. Like totally disrespectful, totally not uh, generous at all. So he fails that test. Um, Chastity, he fails in the in the, in the Lord's manner when he submits to um, the uh, lady. Courtesy, he fails when a couple of times. So when he first meets the spirit, his first uh, attempt is to reach out and touch the spirit, and she turns around and is like, "Whoa!" Like a knight wouldn't do that. A knight would be more respectful, and so he fails the courtesy there. Uh, he fails courtesy to the to the host of the Lord. Where he turns around and the host is like, "Yo, like we're playing this game," and he's like, "Nope, yep, I, I'll give you this kiss back," and and doesn't like he he fails courtesy throughout. The final step of of piety is something that's not really touched on in the film, in, except for in the beginning, in which he's completely non-pious, where he's lying to, um, or he's lying to his uh, mother about being at mass. He's hanging out in a brothel. Um, there's a couple different times where where there's some interesting. Uh, things of like the imagery of him waking up in a stable as soon as he's woken up the the his essel yells the christ has reborn or is risen or christ, something like that christ there's some risen yeah there, there's some imagery there some symbolism there for for Gawain also being um uh christ but
but uh, yeah, so he fails all five of the, of the tenets. But that the point of the film is not necessarily that he has to have had succeeded. It's that you can, like failing once is not failing forever. It's no failure is permanent. It's about working towards being a better person. And some of the challenges, he does start to show development. Like with the spirit, he fails the initial test, or not necessarily a test, but he fails to be courteous to her at first. And he turns around and she's like, yo, I've been dead. I was, I was raped and murdered. And he was like, that sucks. And she was like, hey, can you get my head for me? And he's like, what's in it for me? And she's like, well, I don't have anything to give you. Um, and, How could and you then ask finally, me that? Yeah. Yeah. And, and he turns around and, and does the right thing, but only after seeking self-gain. So like he fails a couple different tests there, but ultimately he does do the right thing. Like he shows that he is capable of being a good person. He's just not there yet. And I think that's the point of the film is that it's not necessarily this, this symbolic person that does everything right the first time. He's this guy that has failed and will continue to fail. But by the end of the film has learned from his experiences to continue to on his path towards, um, uh, I don't know, personal development and, and I don't know, ideal knighthood. Sure. Yeah. I, I, I like all of that and I agree with all of that. I think it all makes sense. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't really have more to say on that. Um, how did you guys feel about the, uh, the giants, that weird giant scene? What did that represent for you? So, so yeah, I was going to say, I wanted to take another step further here and say that there was a huge theme of like man versus nature throughout this whole movie. I don't know if you caught that. Typically, I'm not the one watching these movies and going, oh, there's a sub sub story or subplot or sub theme or whatever. Like, but with this one, I can stand on. But with this one, I just remember being struck by when the Green Knight first arrives, and I was struck by like how well they did, like represented his movement sounding like nature if it was in humanoid form moving. It sounded like the crackling of trees and like the movement of ground and like. It just they just did a really good job with the audio there. I was just really struck with this overwhelming Sound sense of like design was cool when he put the axe down and the 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 plants the moss grew up off from the stone. Cool. Super cool. And, and then basically, all of a sudden, it started to dawn on me when Gawain was riding away from Camelot, and he's riding past fields of men cutting down trees. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I wonder why they included that versus something else. Like what are like. What is it about them cutting down trees that made that worth it instead of showing like some kind of village life of the time or, or something like that or some kind of outpost or something like why are we seeing guys cutting down trees and like, right. you know, throughout I just was struck by like one thing or another where it just felt like there was something nature related and like, you know, we got the hunter that's at like hunting wild animals and yeah, we got, you know, him riding through trees out to this like totally like desolate battlefield where everything's just kind of effed up and like i don't know i just got this like kind of overwhelming sense that there was like a man versus nature or or like some kind of parable to like modern times where you know we're like at odds with with our earth versus you know like living in harmony you know what i'm saying like there's something like perverse or messed up there and i felt like they were kind of slipping that in as like a modern nod to that, this ancient story like hey you know like that that this story could line up with modern times if you looked at it this way essentially like like the green knight doesn't represent um morgan lefay trying to get at arthur in some way or trying to test a knight it represents earth kind of like i don't know like like making its own we, effort i get it completely 
So a friend, the friend of mine who I went and saw the movie with, he said the same thing. He was like, he took the idea of Gawain sacrificing the scarf at the end as him in, uh, uh, accepting the fact that he can't fight nature any further. That like he's been trying to go against not only his own nature, but the natural order of things. And he's been trying to kind of like rebuff it. Right. And yeah. him accepting his fate was him taking off the... The, the scarf which i was like yeah that's a good reading of that, that well and i sense. kept i kept thinking about the relationship with the fox too because this fox like i, I don't know unless I, I missed something like there was no other purpose for the fox than like a representative of nature trying to help him yeah accomplish what he needed to do and then like real quick sudden, though on that fox did you guys also get taken out of the film by the fact that that fox was like some of the worst cgi in recent times it looks so notice. silly I didn't know. They they try. I think they tried to keep it out of focus for the most part because they definitely didn't put any budget into it. It was like clip art. <laughs> was like, really? This thing, this thing looks like it's floating. It doesn't even look like it's on the ground. Yeah, I just thought it looked silly. Um, except for the part where it started talking, I did like that. But otherwise, um, yeah, yeah it's I didn't, so. I didn't think it looked great. So it's just to anyway. wrap that thought up. Like, I, it, it, the giants felt like more of the same to me. Like the fox felt to me like a like almost like a representative of, of nature trying to give Gawain a chance to do it the right way and then all of a sudden the fox starts like challenging him at the end and I'm like yep there it is and what does he do he lashes out at it because it's not telling him what he wants to hear or it's trying to prevent him from doing things his way which is like a a total mankind concept right like I'm gonna do it my way fuck fuck global warming or like you know what I mean and like the other thing is the giants I thought it was kind of interesting because I know that in Europe um I just looked it up. It's Northern Ireland. There's Giants a, actually existed. There's an area called the Giants Causeway. It's an actual thing that exists. Um, World Heritage Site protected by UNESCO. And it's literally the Giants Causeway. And I, I just remember, like, I, I've been aware of that location. And I thought, how interesting is it that they brought giants in and show that they were a part of that part of the world, you know, in this universe for this time. And I just, I was like, that's kind of cool because it makes me feel like that was caused by giants instead of, you know, some other men. Or some other explainable. Um, to to me, um, to me, the the giants immediately represented this concept of Gwen coming from this sheltered existence and and stepping into a world that's like much bigger than he could ever imagine. Right. Um, that that was the first concept, and then obviously when the he turns around and his first reaction after absorbing what he's seeing is like, "Yo, let me catch a ride," uh, which Will is you help you know, that, me? Can that, you serve that, me in some way? Yeah, yeah like that selfish. typical that typical hero's moment where, you know, yeah, can that, I take the easy road here? That same thing with Winifred where he's like, what what will I get in exchange for helping you? I thought there were some interesting character flaws in him that they like highlighted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. The thing with the Giants, I didn't catch on to that. But now that you say it, I'm like, oh, that is more the same where it's like he's kind of a shitty dude to some extent. He doesn't do anything. Oh, yeah. He doesn't do anything selflessly. You know what I mean? Right. right. Everything is, is self-serving in his mind where it's like, how, and, ca- how will this benefit? Like, how will this, and like in the part where, um, what's her name? Essa, uh, Essel? Alicia Vikander's yeah. lo- the love interest one. Um, she says to him, like, will you make me your lady? What would you like, say if what, I asked what, you to? What, yeah. What, yeah. If I, yeah. What would you say? He just doesn't and say anything. We don't really ever get his react, his yeah. answer, but it's clearly going to be a, nah, you're a prostitute. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I can't love you. I'm not allowed to love you. Um, and, uh, 
sorry, it's, it's it's him being like, well, I can't, I can't do that because I can't be, I can't be seen to be with, to be in love with you. I can be seen to have sex with you because you're a prostitute and whatever. I'm a man and you know, blah blah blah. But I can't be seen to to marry, you know, whatever with you because that that'll that'll impugn my honor. You know, it's it's his own. You know. He's saying no to her because she's not good enough for the station that he wants in life, even though he does clearly have feelings for her. You right. know, everything, every decision he makes is about this is his self-serving nature until the end when he, you know, decides, fuck it, let's see what happens. You know, I also thought there was an interesting metaphor with there with the giants, with the concept of him standing on the shoulders of giants. Like that whole, I think there's a metaphor in there of, of him with his attempts of using King Arthur and his knight's fame to to um, launch himself to, to, I don't know, knighthood. Um, and then his actual initial, when the giant goes to grab him, he cowers. And that's him like not being ready to embrace that call to action. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I think that that makes sense. Um, yeah. So, um, what else is there? Oh, I did really want to quickly uh, go into Tyler's corner of film here. Um, Malgozia Terzanska was the costume designer on this film. And I just want to give her a quick round of applause. Everybody is draped in heavy fabrics that are like very ornately embroidered. And they're just, they're just, it's just like fabric just hanging off of these people. They're wearing like kurtas and they're wearing kaftans and they're wearing tunics and they're wearing like crazy pants and boots and that cloak. I might, dude, I might, I seriously spent half of my day yesterday trying to find a cloak, like that golden cloak that he wears through the whole movie. I was like, I might, this might just be my new outfit. <laughs> I might be showing up to work wearing a cape, but. <laughs> I might. This is incredible. I loved every bit of it. Also, um, the uh, Dev Patel has the best hair in the business. He's got great hair. The whole movie, I was just like, man, I wish my hair was still curly like that. Looks good. Um, I don't know. Did anyone else notice any any outfits that they liked? Uh... Nope, just Tyler. Um, what about the architecture in uh, Joel Edgerton's home? Did you guys notice that? That castle of the Lord and the Lady? The It was some of the best architecture I've ever seen on screen. I, I need to know where that building is in the UK because I, I have to go see it. It was incredible. I've never seen anything like it before. Every room had some of the most ornate decorative elements I've ever seen in, in interior architecture. I just I, It was really incredible. Um, yeah, I don't know. So sorry. Wanted to take that, go for that quick ride. Uh, anyone else have any other thoughts here? Yeah. Um, let's talk about the, the, the dream sequence, the, the concept. So there's a moment where, uh, Deb Patel is facing the green knight and the green knight's getting ready to shove off his head and he keeps cowering. And, and at one point he asked the, the green knight, like, is this literally all there is? Like, you're gonna chop my head and then I'm dead. Like, is that it? And the Green Knight asks, what more ought there be? And then there's the silence. The Green Knight goes to chop off his head. And Dev Patel runs away. And then the entire next, like, five minutes is played out in complete silence as uh, he retracts his way back to Camelot, 
comes across some of the people that he that he had encountered, including the thief that had initially robbed him. Um, and uh, then it just fast forwards what that life would have looked like had he taken that course of action. Um, what did you guys think of that? I wanted to ask you guys, same similar here. What at what point did you guys figure out, or did you figure out that it was like a just a view ahead, and that he was actually still with the Green Knight in that moment? Did you guys figure that out? That it was I... like a dream. Yeah, uh, I felt. I think I picked up on it pretty much immediately. Like once he walked out there and his horse was there, I was sort of like, eh. "Why is his horse there?" You know what? It's funny because I had a thought of that too. I was like, "Oh, he's he's just like imagining getting away," and then I was like. But his axe showed up randomly with no explanation, so maybe it's okay with the horse too. And so, yeah, so I right, kind of started right. to buy back into it. But then, uh, I think there was a moment where he was looking at um, Alicia Vikander's character through the crowd, where I just thought, "This is just his worst nightmare. This is yeah. basically yeah. this is basically him realizing what a life without honor leads you to." Yeah. You know what I mean? Like all these horrible things and just a a, a life absent of joy. You know what I'm saying? I do like that he has to have sex while wearing the sash, though. <laughs> like, he can't take it yeah, off. Yeah, won't like, take I'll it never off. take this off. Yeah. I, I <laughs> the girl tries to take it off of him, and he, he's like, no, the sash the stays. <laughs> the belt stays on. <laughs> the belt stays on. Sorry. Um, yeah, I turned, to, I turned to, to the guy I saw the movie with, Eric, and I was like, uh, as soon as he took the baby from uh, when, when she, like, gave birth, and he just turned around and, like, the – God, the handful of coins just hitting the bed. I was like, "Fuck, that's disgusting." No, um, that that interpretation of Merlin was fucked up too. <laughs> I honestly would love to see more about that that version of Merlin. If I'm honest, um, uh, I, I like his weird druid tattoos on his face. He looked like a SoundCloud rapper. <laughs> you know, it's kind of so, funny. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was gonna say it's kind of funny because in the original legend, the Green Knight like gets challenged by a couple of knights when he first comes into the round table. And he basically tells him, like, you don't stand a chance, so you're not worth my time. You know, like, I'm too strong for you. And um, they didn't do that in the movie. However, they, they show Arthur kind of glance over at Merlin, kind of like, a, yo, should I, like, order my guys to kill this fool? Or what's the deal? And Merlin closes his eyes for a second, kind of like the checking with his magical, like, tuning into this green knight. Like, what the hell am I looking at here? Looks over at him and goes... Don't do it, man. He gets a, he gets a, a DBZ power level reading. And yeah, goes, no, that's no. exactly right. It's over 9,000. Yeah, and he just like looks at Arthur and just goes, Mm-mm, don't send your guys at him. He's going to kill them all. And I was like, ooh, I kind of enjoyed that little like that moment where like Merlin yeah. like is like the, Merlin is always seen as this like untouchable magical power. And yet in this moment, like he's just like, there's big, there's seems- bigger stuff out there, man. And this is one of them. Do not do that, you know. So, so at that point, when when he comes up and like takes his his illegitimate child from Alicia Vikander, that's when I turned to my friend and I was like, "All right, this is either a a, a fever dream that's going to snap back to him being back under the Green Knight's axe, or he's going to go back and and face the Green Knight being like seventy years old." Like those are the two options. Those yeah. are the only two options. I did have this thought in the back of my head, like, "Oh my God, they actually did just like do an alternate version where he doesn't come clean." And I was just like, please tell me this isn't how this story ends. You know, like, please don't do this. Like, and I was, I was, um, I was grateful when he showed back up under the axe. Let me ask you, Tyler, do you think that uh, the Green Knight cut his head off? I was going to ask. Yeah, same question. What do you guys think happened at the end? No, I think he does. He flicked him with his finger and said, you've passed my test. No, he mind. doesn't say that. He says, well, uh, well done. Now off with your head. 
and he does like a thumb movement and goes to stand back up or whatever or like it just shows him like it just shows his face and he winks no, out no i think he lets him i yeah. think he lets so, him so so in the original story gawain reveals that he was cheating or whatever gives the guy the sash and the guy reveals himself to be the lord like you said but in this version, I thought it was interesting that they kind of cut it off. Like, I mean, t- to be fair, technically they left it as an ambiguous ending. Right. It felt like which a is what voice. I was saying. Is it was sort of like, well, what does that what does that mean now? Like, what does that mean for him going forward? Does I, he well, ever like, find out that it was a test? Does Tyler, he live? I mean, do we don't even know if he didn't cut his head off? You don't know. Tyler, did did you stay for the end credits sequence? What? Yeah, I didn't, yeah, know. I didn't know there was it one too. either. God. That's dumb. Yeah, so, so I didn't either, but Eric and I sat in the film talking about it because Eric turned around and was like, what the fuck just happened? And he and I went talking about it, and suddenly at the very end of the film, there's a, there's a, a last scene that shows a little Lancelot like, six or seven. is just nailing Guinevere. <laughs> <laughs> it, it shows... It shows a little six or seven-year-old girl in one of the rooms of Camelot playing with King Arthur's crown. That's it. That, that's it. And and so the question is: Is that Gawain's daughter? Is that the the daughter that he had with the Ill, the illegitimate child that he had before he left, and therefore he got his head chopped off, and now Arthur is raising his illegitimate daughter to be the next heir? Because wouldn't Gawain be wearing the crown if Gawain had lived, or is he just not wearing the crown? Like it, like the totally ambiguous. But um, yeah, I'm just glad to know that I'm the only true fan here. Um, yeah, so I, I, I think I, my connotation was that he did survive. Um, the, the Green Knight's tonal change from when the, the, the in, encounter starts where he just stands up is like, all right, assume the position, get your head chopped off, like totally transactional, total coldness to him. And then Gwen tosses off the green belt and he turns around and drops down on one knee, is brushing his cheek, calls him his sweet boy, and then jokingly says, off with your head. To me, that was a symbolic way of saying the old Gawain is dead and you're going to continue to making good choices from this point on. Sure. He says my sweet boy. Yeah. Makes me feel like it's just his mom and like a, it is. That's exactly earth, what it is. Earth suit. Like, uh, Gawain. It's exactly what it is. It's, I, it's, I used it's, to wipe your bottom and I'm so proud of what you've grown into. Yeah. Like that's yeah. weird to me. Like, But, I, but to I, me, I the know. gesture of him wiping Gwen's face was totally uh, identical to King Arthur wiping mud from his face at the beginning of the film. Which is why they made such a big show of that. You know what I mean? Is this King Arthur? Is this his mother? Like, who is in control? But his mom was in the room when that happened. Right. Right. So I wonder if there's some kind of... Doesn't his mom... Someone else touches his face at some point in the movie as well. Like, that, in that same way. Like, rubs their thumb across his face. It's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that. There is a lot of face touching. It felt like a touching Everyone's touching his face, man. I saw Joel Edgerton touching his face with his lips, man. They gave me a little, good little kiss there, man. I thought thought Tyler was going to touch on it for sure, the way that he went after Tarantino's foot fetish. I was like, does... I don't care about Tarantino having a foot fetish. I don't like that he makes me a part of it. Well, this, well, this is, is face fetish. Is face touching? Is that a fetish? Is that I don't think David Lowry has a face fetish. Although, if you've ever, if, if you guys ever seen like Ain't Them Body Saints or A Ghost Story or any of his other movies, no, nope. Okay, so A Ghost Story is really good, really slow. I mean, three quarters of the movie is like a silent film, um, uh, but it's really good. And at one point, 
At one point, Rooney Mara just eats an entire cake, just a hand, no, no utensils, just like laying her spoilers for a ghost story. Okay, here we go. There you have enough time to pause it. Um, Casey Affleck is her husband in it, and he dies in a car accident, I think. And she gets home, and like he had got her a cake for her birthday, and she sits down on the ground with the cake and just eats the whole fucking cake you watched the whole hand yeah the whole time and she just dude i she must have thrown up afterwards it was so much cake like she's just and she's just grabbing it and just shoving it in her mouth and it's getting everywhere and it's like what is the i guess the meaning here is just like people grieve in different ways but holy shit that was a decision same director she to, so she wants to suffer maybe, i don't know yeah i don't know um not a lot of face touching in that movie but that does happen um, I do recommend that movie, but it's about two hours long, and it is. Well, it sounds very like she's slow. touching her face every time she puts another shovel of cake in her mouth. Yeah. Oh, um, and he's just like, "There you go." Also, same cinematographer as this movie on that one. Um, so, so let's talk about the cinematography because I loved the cinematography of this film. Looked um, incredible, honestly. Uh, uh, it, I, I, I wish I still smoked weed. I feel like going and seeing this movie high would have been an experience to have. It was really, um, it was just really incredible to look at. I'm pretty sure I recognized a dolly zoom, which for our listeners at home, there's a technique in filmmaking called a dolly zoom where you move uh, the camera closer and or farther from the object that you're filming. And then at the same time, you either zoom or zoom out of the object. And so what it does is it, frames the the central object in the same positioning but it like expands the the um peripheral vision of the camera to give it just a really strange effect um and i think i recognized one at the point when when Gwen is tied up and he's just sitting there struggling so the camera's uh positioned it's focused on him and it starts to spin and it comes back around him and it's just a skeleton and then it spins back around a second time and it's him again and then it just slowly starts to like feels like it starts to zoom in but his positioning remains the same uh, so they probably moved the camera towards him while zooming out and i was right. just like immediately like damn like that's captivating filming because as soon as they got to a certain point the camera stopped moving and Gwen started just struggling for all hell uh, but the so tension oh sorry i was gonna say that the tension that not only the cinematography but the next thing i want to talk about is the score the the use of the score in this film was just phenomenal um yeah but what were we gonna say i was gonna say um this yeah so dolly zoom is usually used in a moment of like character realization or a character making a decision because it's like it's sort of like the world shrinking around them or expanding around them um it's also used to kind of insinuate that the, the the floor is being pulled out from under you because it makes it look like the floor is moving in a very strange way um so that's that's and I would say that both of those things are happening in that scene. You know, he's making a decision to live and, you know, he's going to he's he's not going to like become the skeleton that he's imagining himself being. Um, and at the same time, his whole world has just been shattered because he was just, you know, robbed of everything. Um, so, yeah, you're right. That was really good camera work there. Um, another really excellent moment was shortly after the Giants leave him. Uh, after making their weird little song that was oddly beautiful like the weird like cooing of all the giants that like created like this beautiful harmony um that was really awesome uh sound design wise but then 
the world flips upside down. Yeah. And you're seeing the blue sky staying ever present, but the camera is it's definitely like a helicopter shot over the these mossy cliff faces in like probably somewhere in northern Scotland or Northern Ireland or something and it I just it was so incredible to watch like that moment was just so beautiful I was like I could just watch they could just be running this on a loop for an hour and I would just sit here and just watch it it was crazy yeah it was really incredible camera work the use of natural lighting in this film was very strange decision wise but also really helped to add to the level of like tension in scenes um when dev patel is sitting in the cave trying to start the fire and it's just dark and you can barely just make out like the outline of his face um from like the moonlight which is natural lighting um that was really uh intense there was a moment where there's lightning oh he eats the shrooms and he he goes on a shroom trip yeah that was funny and he's like uh he's watching the green knight through the green lightning but like he's illuminated only through natural lighting but the green knight is being illuminated by this artificial lighting source thought that was a really interesting choice um all in all i think that it's really hard to impeach any of the the cinematography in this film i think that you know that was one of the main things that my wife took away from it was just she was like typically she doesn't like these kinds of movies and she admitted that uh when we got out of the theater yesterday and um she was like i didn't mind it because it was really beautiful it was really great to watch so you know for for me the only moment of cinematography that i didn't care for was once he jumped into the lake to to retrieve winifred's head um like the the artificial lighting that they were using there was just i don't know i didn't really understand what the themes were there or, or what was going i was just like intense red lights that you know it just felt like he was just underwater and they were just flashing lights on him right it reminded me of uh of kevin spacey's role in uh, men who stare at goats when he's trying to trigger the psychic guy and he's just <laughs> exactly he's back and stuff doing underwater like turning lights on deb patel um i don't know I, I didn't care for for that moment specifically but the rest of the film i i did uh thoroughly love yeah i, I uh, felt like the girl from uh from uh Morgan Thau from yeah. Falcon and the Winter Soldier shows up. I like I like her. I think she's good. Um, I yeah. thought she did. I thought she was really funny in this bit, when like he goes to touch her and she goes, "What are you doing? Why would you touch me? You don't touch me. Yeah. I was just raped and my head was cut off." <laughs> He's like, "Oh shit, sorry." <laughs> that yeah. got me. I was like, "Yeah, fucking. Why are you touching random women, dude? <laughs> Keep your hands to yourself." <laughs> um, um. I thought the use of score, not only just the use of score, but the use of, of silence specifically. There's a lot of moments where I was like, fuck, I feel like there should be something playing. But then I realized that the director was just leaning into that natural sense of, of tension that was building just through silence. But then also using score almost to a, 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 a maximum in areas where there would be some score, he would just dump it so much uh, uh, composition of, of voices that would be overwhelming in some scenes um that i i really ended up appreciating uh the use of score by the end of it i, I wasn't really sure where it was going at the beginning but uh, i really liked it by the end um all right the last thing that i want to talk about and then we can talk about whatever you guys you want to alicia vikander's uh monologue her her uh, soliloquy about rot and green the color green about why he's called the green knight i think that was probably the highlight of the film for me 
I thought that was like that delivery. I was like haunted. Super interesting. Why did concept, why did she too. have a camera? Why did she have a pinhole camera in her house? How did she get that? Where did that technology come from in this film? I don't know. Anyone else like like what what is that message? What are you got, talking about? Got, a pinhole camera. So a pinhole camera is when you have a photosensitive uh, ink that you basically paint onto a canvas, and oh. then you put that in, or a piece of paper, and then you put that into the back of a of a apparatus that is devoid of light, and then you have a pinhole, and you open that pinhole for a second, at, point it at something, and then you close it, and the light that's refracted through the pinhole onto the photosensitive ink captures an image, and it's the earliest form of camera that existed but it 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 is not during not this early you know what i mean like not it wasn't it wasn't around that long before so i thought that was really interesting that she had that kind of technology already um i don't know what they were saying by that but yeah i thought sorry go ahead go ahead i was gonna say that the the imagery of of in his little fever dream uh uh Garwin has that same photo mounted behind him and throughout the years it like slowly rots and turns green and I thought that that was interesting symbolism um, yeah the, the whole now, thing well, about one of you guys remind great. me sorry will you remind me of what the color rant rant was she was she, just talking about she said why is the green knight green why green what does that mean there's got to be a meaning to it it's not just a just a random color and she was like, green represents like, like life and like, you know, represents like vitality. And like, you know, if, if it was, if he was like this evil beast or creature, he would be red, which is like anger or, you know, envy or whatever. You know what I mean? Like why green? And like, she kind of goes through this whole thing with the, with colors and like how they mean more than just being a color. And I just thought that was so fascinating. I, I don't know. I, I, yeah. You seem like and, and then at the same there. time, and then at the same time, she and her cousin, she and her cousin, her her husband are dressed in diametrically opposing colors, with him wearing red and her wearing blue, like this clear clash. They're sitting on opposite sides of the table, like they're, um, you know, clearly at odds with each other. Not only in uh, physically distant, but also just the way that they dress is so um, different from each other. And then she goes off on this color rant about the symbolism of colors. Uh, and and Deb Patel is dressed in neutral colors for most of the film. It's it's I don't know. Yeah, I think that that's all good. Does anyone have any uh, anything else to comment on in this film? All right, uh, we're gonna move on then to recommendations. Does anybody have any recommendations this week? Anything that you watched, read, listened to that you think other people should check out? Uh, I've got two, but I'll go last if everyone else. No, go ahead. Go ahead and drop your first, at least one right here. Sure. I was looking for something to watch a couple days ago and saw a uh, Daniel Radcliffe film called Guns Akimbo, (laughs) which uh, is one of his uh, uh, indie films that he's put out in the last couple of years. Uh, The concept of the film is that he is a uh, computer programmer that makes uh, a really shitty cell phone addicted game. Um, doesn't like his life, doesn't really have much to live for. So he goes home every day after work and, and trolls people on the internet and, and makes fun of them and, and gets them angry while he gets drunk. And he upsets the wrong person and ends up upsetting a gangster who runs a 
uh, crime ring where they have uh, psychopaths compete in gladiator events and run from the cops uh, and and for a live internet audience. And he goes into Daniel Radcliffe's house, knocks him unconscious, and bolts two guns to his hands so that he can't do anything with his hands. Uh, and then has him pitted him up against the most successful gladiator in the business. Um, and so Daniel Radcliffe being this bystander now has to try and get help and, and do all these things. And it's him, you know, bidding put uh, straight into the flames of this massive criminal enterprise and, and trying to stand up to all of this. It's, it's entertaining. Um, and Daniel Radcliffe does a great job. Did you enjoy I, it? I did. I liked it a lot more than, uh, the other Daniel Radcliffe film where he is the utility man or whatever it's called. Swiss army man. Swiss army man. I did not he appreciate it. Yeah. That movie was haunting. Um, the last recommendation, I know Brian will also like this one. Brian and I yesterday downloaded a game that's free on Nintendo switch right now called Pokemon unite. It's a MOBA, a massively online, uh, sorry, multiplayer online battle arena in which you control one of 20 different Pokemon and uh, compete with different roles, trying to kill other minor Pokemon or other players, uh, get points for it, and then score them on enemy towers. And whichever team scores the most on the enemy uh, wins. And it's fun. There's roles. It's, it's a strategy game. It's up to five people. Brian and I have been playing it yesterday, and we're going to continue playing it today. And Tyler will join us sooner or later. Maybe. Um, I'm still working on Breath of the Wild right now. That's the only Switch game I'm probably going to be playing. Um, still loving that game. Um, my only uh, kind of thing that I checked out this week, I uh, I watched a movie called Love Guaranteed that I posted on our Instagram. And uh, turns out no one uh, likes rom-coms on our Instagram um, except for me. Uh, it was fine. Not great, but fine. Um, Damon Wayans Jr. Uh, is very funny and charming, and I like him, but otherwise the movie kind of didn't really do anything for me. Um, the other thing I watched was uh, the new Masters of the Universe TV show, animated TV show on Netflix, and I don't think I like that show. I don't think I, don't think I like He-Man as a character. I was like watching it, and I was just like, I don't recognize any of these characters. I don't know who any of these people are. I don't care about any of this. Um, apparently, there's a big outcry because, spoilers, um, they basically, like, He-Man and Skeletor get, like, transported somewhere else, like, in the end of the first episode, and then the they rest fucking, of the series is about they die, uh, bro. a female character, um, and everybody's, like, mad that they're they turned it into something else. Blah, blah, blah. I don't give a fuck. I don't care. You can like it and be upset about it, I guess, if you want to, if that's what you want to spend your energy thinking about. But I don't really think that it's that big of a deal. Um, the, that show kind of sucks. Those characters all are kind of silly. Um, and yeah, anyway, I won't be watching any further of it. Uh, come at me if you'd like. I don't care. I watched um, it all. You did? Yeah. Uh, Brian, do, what, wait, what did you think, Jeff? I liked like it. It's it entertaining. I, I like Kevin. I like a lot of Kevin, Kevin Smith's work. But I, I mean, I never watched yeah. the original, and and all of my recognition for the characters came from Robot Chicken. So, um, <laughs> I don't like Kevin Smith that much. I've seen most of his movies. I, I refuse to watch any of the the sequels that he's come out with for most of his movies because I don't think I've enjoyed any of his movies really quite as much as uh, he thinks people should. 
But anyway, people seem to like his movies, so including you, apparently, Jeff. Um, Brian, what do you got going on? You were pretty busy all week, but um, yeah, but hopefully the last time I'll say that. Um, just finished my master's program, so as far as updates go, congratulations! Uh, just... Thank you very much. Yeah. So as far as you know, who's the most educated one in the room? Obviously, I'll let the paperwork speak for itself, Jeff. Fucker. You started this. All right. Don't 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 get mad at me. But anyway, um, as far as recommendations go, I'll just echo Pokemon Unite. That that's a pretty fun game so far. Um, and uh, Jeff and I are still looking for a third person for zombies Easter egg runs on Call of Duty Zombies. So if someone out there is just an absolute rock star that doesn't need a whole lot of catching up to speed, hit us up. We get we're looking for a third. <laughs> room for a third um all right cool well uh anyone else got any final thoughts what should we ask the listeners to uh to reach out to us about this week how did you think of the green what did you think of the green knight which arthurian legend do you think they should uh try to make a movie out of next who do you think should play the character and who do you think should direct the film maybe it's a good one um answers will be read out live on air next week if you get back to me um otherwise yeah get in touch with us at clever kids podcast at g uh, at gmail.com or at clever kids pod on instagram um and yeah otherwise i will see you next uh next time yeah Th- awesome thanks guys bye quickly uh i did want to ask you we're gonna cut this out brian but um is your recording coming off of your your microphone i got five dollars that says this makes it to the final cut um it is coming (laughs) off my microsoft yeti nano i believe okay cool because i don't think that the zoom is coming from your your microphone it's not a big deal because we can hear you fine but anyway and coming back in three two one